Welcome to the Venley Expert Talks, where we aim to inspire Web3 builders with great stories from great minds. I'm your host, Alexandra Ahrens, and I'd like to remind you that you can always reach out to us on Twitter, Discord, or LinkedIn with ideas for the podcast and questions for our guests. Welcome to episode 40 of the Venley Expert Talks. Today I'm joined by Stephen Brown, co-founder and chief operating officer at SOARS, and we're going to be talking about Web3 adoption in emerging markets. So welcome, Stephen. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Alex. Lovely to be here. Yeah, let's start out with your background. I want to get to know you a little bit. So can you tell me kind of how you got into crypto? I'm in full-time in crypto blockchain for five years. Previous to that, I was a lawyer. Um, so it was a bit of an unusual jump, you could say. I moved to Hong Kong from Ireland about seven years ago, and I became general counsel for a Hong Kong technology company. And while there, I was tasked with um, opening up companies in different parts of the world, uh, you know, in unusual places in Central Asia, Central America. And, you know, it turns out it's actually not that easy to do that um, from Hong Kong. And kind of the idea of, uh, you know, late night phone calls and trying to deal with, you know, local providers and places like Nicaragua and Kazakhstan wasn't really that appealing to me. So I asked around, uh, you know, was there somebody in Hong Kong who I could deal with, who could take care of, um, you know, all of the local matters. And somebody said to me, oh, there's this guy, this Irish guy um, you know, called Brian. Uh, he might be able to help you. So I called Brian and I said, Brian, this is my problem. And uh, Brian said, oh, I can do all of that. No problem. I'll be up in your office in half an hour. So I got to know Brian and uh, Brian at that point was advising some of the early ICOs uh, on the legal and structuring side. And we, this is in 2015, 2016. And Brian, when I would meet for a drink and he would tell me about crypto and, uh, you know, I'm still, it just wasn't something I knew about really. And the more I learned, uh, I suppose, the more interested I became. And then at the end of 2017, we were chatting about, uh, you know, what's next in terms of our careers, etc. And, uh, you know, 2018 rolled around. And we both resigned on the same day and set up SOARS um, just at the beginning of 2018, right when the market started crashing. So it was fantastic timing <laughs> and just been going ever since, ever since then, really. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You really dove in just head first into this project. That's cool. Um, great. Can you tell us about SOARS, what you guys are up to and kind of the long-term goals too? Sure, no problem. So so SOARS, the parent company, SOARS, is a company based in Hong Kong and Ireland. And, uh, you know, our bread and butter at the start was, you know, the traditional consulting advisory route. And uh, you know, I suppose it's fair to say that's where we cut our teeth. At the start, um, you know, advised and got involved primarily on the legal and structuring side, um, you know, in a lot of uh, ICOs, uh, tokenized funds and some security tokens. So 
our you know view you know from a long time ago has been uh, you know regulation is this piece to crypto that's ultimately going to feature you know very heavily in the space so that's been one of our guiding lights um right from the start and in terms of the business we have um our vast license in ireland so a virtual asset service provider um licensed by the central bank of ireland and it, it you know that allows us to operate with counterparties in a regulated manner so people know who we are we know we haven't just kind of walked in off the street um and in terms of our business lines we have you know, still our traditional consulting advisory um then we have our portfolio companies which these are companies uh, we've invested in um, and in some cases created from the start they range from uh, uh, companies in the real world asset space music and nfts game social tokens uh, and i suppose most importantly or one of the most important uh, pieces of our portfolio is, is two companies one is a broker dealer in germany called black manta which has got a license from the German financial regulator Baffin for the distribution of tokenized securities. And then also um, Fortuna, which is a regulated custody provider uh, uh, in Ireland. So you know, we really have a collection of things uh, in our portfolio that keeps us busy. And then our, uh, uh, our consumer facing line is called Sorted. So we've taken the source name and we've created Sorted uh, didn't take a marketing genius to work that one out. Um, <laughs> and you know, Sorted is really creating products which we see there's a need for in the market. And rather than wait for somebody else to go about and create them, you know, we've done so ourselves. So the first Sorted product was a, 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 a launch pad or a deal room, as we call it. This is a regulated environment for issuers to issue uh, uh, you know, utility tokens, um, you know, that's been quite successful for us. And the next one is, uh, which I think will form part of our conversation today, is our sorted wallet, which is a, a crypto wallet for emerging markets and um, primarily focused on, or pr primarily being released on an operating system called KaiOS, which is the third largest uh, mobile OS in the world. So we kind of have a large uh, uh, variety of things we work on. Um, you know, geographically based between Hong Kong and Ireland, about 10 full-time people. And uh, I suppose long-term goals is really growing all of the existing businesses we have and uh, you know, trying to do something useful in the space, um, I think is our you know, simple and uh, uh, you know, honest uh, answer to, you know, to where we want to go. Okay, great. Yeah, so if you want to talk about the Sorted Wallet really quickly, I definitely wouldn't mind. So I know that you guys kind of use the, the Venly API to help create this product. Can you tell us how they interact? Yeah, sure. So uh, I suppose just to take a step back, you know, I, I've always been interested in, um, you know, unusual technology and uh, you know, underused technology, you could say. So you know, as a child, I was, uh, you know, buying vinyl players. As a, as a, you know, teenager, adult, I was buying laser displayers, mini displayers. You know, odd kind of formats. Um, you know, I'd go down rabbit holes on, 
on YouTube about uh, you know unusual music formats, unusual uh, video formats, and things like that. You know, repurposing uh, you know old consoles to you know to run Windows or something like that. Uh, you know, would would be an interesting afternoon for me. And you know, part of that over the last couple of years, I became aware of a mobile operating system called KaiOS, which uh, you know runs on what people might describe as you know old style Nokia phones that people would have used uh, you know twenty fifteen twenty twenty five years ago, so before smartphones. And you know this was something I was aware of, you know, knew it existed. Um, you know, obviously no need to use it, but you know, I was aware that this existed. And then about 18 months ago, you know, Hong Kong being the entrepreneurial place it is, I met somebody and they said, you know, we just randomly started talking about KaiOS or it, it came up and they said, oh, they're actually based here in Hong Kong. And I said, oh, wow, that's interesting. And kind of, you know, did some digging and found out, you know, they have an app store, you know, WhatsApp is in it, Facebook is in it, you know, about 500 apps are in it, but there's no crypto wallet. And I said, well, you know, this, you know, seems like something that there should be a crypto wallet. And, you know, really then that was the point where, um, you know, we decided that we would do something about it. So I suppose to take a step back even further, just to give people some context. So, um, uh, uh, KaiOS is, came from a large part, the, the Firefox OS, which was a mobile phone operating system developed by Firefox that was, uh, you know, used primarily, let's say in, in the decades, uh, you know, from 2010 onwards, roughly. And, uh, you know, the team from that after Firefox OS uh, uh, disbanded, you know, reconstituted themselves, launched KaiOS, and uh, you know, raised a significant portion of their capital from the likes of Google and TCL, which is a large uh, uh, Chinese electronic manufacturer. And KaiOS is positioned at what's called feature phones. So feature phones are, you know, look like those phones that were used, um, you know, twenty years ago. So no touch screen, no, um, uh, 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 you know, fancy kind of features in them really priced at around you know, 20 to $50. So this is really a phone that people are getting for the first time in, uh, you know, in the life cycle of them owning a mobile phone. So it, it, it has an app store, um, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, etc. You know, slimmed down version of these apps exist on this app store. And you know, having used the phone for the last year or so um, as my second phone, you know, it, it works absolutely perfectly fine. And um, so, into this environment, we said, well, this seems to, this seems to be an opportunity here for uh, the KaiOS users, which they have about 130 million monthly active users. Uh, that this is you know, a large number of people who, uh, you know, are getting online for the first time, uh, you know, probably are aware of crypto and, and, and Web3, maybe it's something they're interested in, but have no means to access it. So that was really the genesis of it. And then 
obviously Venley came into the picture when we were looking at how we were going to build this, um, uh, you know, who were going to be reliable technology partners, uh, you know, Venley's name came to the top of the list, you know, pretty quickly. So that's where our uh, the sorted wallet journey with Venley began. And, uh, you know, now we're just, uh, you know, coming up to release. So. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks. We appreciate that. And yeah, I'm definitely excited to see where that goes and and how you guys kind of complete those visions and goals. Well, I suppose, you know, just to take, I'm taking a lot of steps back here, but to take another step back, um, <laughs> you know, it was our view, um, you know, to take an analogy, for instance, you know, it's often said that in, you know, from my experience of going to mainland China, that's, uh, you know, people, a large majority of, of, of internet users in mainland China immediately went to mobile. <clears throat> they didn't, you know, have a laptop first and then got a phone. It was just instantly, let's get a phone. That's my primary internet device. So kind of that intermediate stage, which, you know, from my perception and from what's researched about, let's say in Europe and the US, you know, people of a certain age would have, you know, first started out with a desktop, you know, then moved to a laptop and then to, you know, to a, to a smartphone. So in terms of steps of technology progression, um, you know, mobile is going, you know, is probably becoming the first step, uh, you know, the lap, the desktop and the laptop are being left out in a large majority of cases. So the first device people are interacting with to get on the web is going to be a cell phone a smartphone so that's uh, you know tying that into crypto uh, you know we, we can't be relying on people to you know to have access to a laptop and you know download brave or download chrome and install metamask in order to get uh, connectivity to uh, you know to web3 so uh, and particularly then when kios comes into the picture and those people in emerging markets, um, you know, are just simply not going to have the economic means to afford a a, a laptop, or going to even if they do have a laptop, maybe Wi-Fi is uh, it, it was something unattainable to them uh, on a regular basis. So, releasing the wallet on a feature phone, we believe, will allow. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to. We haven't released it yet, so I want to be careful what I say, but will allow, you know, multitudes of people uh, their first opportunity to interact with uh, digital assets, um, you know, in a very important way. So, uh, you know, mobile, as much as in mainland China, how uh, it became a huge driver for people getting online, we believe that mobile and Web3 is equally going to be as potent in the KOS environment of getting people uh, involved in Web3. So that's kind of our take on it uh, as it stands now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, would you say that the same kind of roadblocks exist for these kind of emerging markets and these economies as they do for the rest of blockchain and crypto? So I guess what I mean is, Normally we talk about roadblocks and hurdles of, you know, user experience or people not being super tech savvy. And I guess those probably exist 
in in the markets you're looking at as well. Um, but do you see others that are maybe more special to these circumstances? Or I mean, I think my perception, and I know this is this is a well worn path, but you know, it is it it you know, crypto is a very elite thing, and it is a very bubble type thing. And especially for people, um, you know, working in crypto, uh, you know, it, there tends to be a lot of blinkers on thinking that, uh, you know, all, all we see is the world through, uh, uh, you know, through crypto and everything is perceived in that manner, which is not going to work, frankly, in terms of onboarding people. Um, it just, just turns, just turns people off. So to take another step back, I think that, um, you know, being honest about that and saying, well, okay, you can, you can abstract away a lot of stuff, um, you know, log in with socials, um, you know, bury the seed phrase, all of that stuff. And you can get into arguments with custodial, non-custodial, et cetera. You know, all that is fine, but I think that, you know, there comes a point where, um, you know, I, the way I look at it is when I started in crypto five years ago, one of the questions I posed myself was, you know, how soon is my sister going to um, start interacting with crypto? And, and five years ago, I probably would have said, oh, maybe in the next 10 years. And now five years later, I still think that's 10 years away. Um, I think this, you know, it, it hasn't gone mainstream yet. And um you know, there is a growing percentage of people using it, yes, but it, it, it hasn't had that, you know, so-called iPhone moment, um, it, it, you know, that kind of ushers in mass adoption. So I think the problems exist, not just for people in emerging markets. I think, I think it exists, um, uh, you know, in, in developed countries uh, also, which which I know Venley is, that's one of the problems you guys are, are you know, trying to solve also. Yeah, definitely. So some of these emerging markets are really going hard. They're they're at the top level of in terms of adoption when they do kind of start, um, even despite the bear market. Why do you think that is, and do you think that will continue to to be the way it is? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know necessity is the mother of all invention, um, you know, as the phrase goes, and. I think when people have a limited set of options for transferring value and, and those limited set of options in, in a lot of cases are expensive and cumbersome, you know, they're more willing to try out, um, you know, new ideas. So I think the adoption curve does move faster. You know, you look at a country like Nigeria, you know, I don't have the figures in front of me, but, you know, it's, it's approaching kind of hockey stick territory in terms of, uh, you know, onboarding people because you know you have a you know you have a large population, um, a large immigrant population around the world who, um, you know, as is a well known, uh, you know, well known phenomenon with immigrant populations, they send uh, or remit money back to their home country, to their families, to their friends, to their communities. So that's why you're seeing, um, uh, you know, a large part of the crypto adoption in Nigeria driven by that and also um, uh, uh, I think it's people uh, you know willing to you know, want to say this the right way I think it's people 
who've been underserved so far, um, that trying something with less barriers to entry is more appealing. Though, uh, I think it's the right mix um, in play in a lot of these countries that, that people will say, well, hey, I might be getting screwed on fees. This might be unreliable. I don't want to have to queue up for you know, an hour on a Sunday to, to receive the money that my sister sent me from London or, 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 or whatnot. And, you know, they'll try, um, you know, they'll try something else. So that's, that's kind of how we see it as kind of creating this funnel, you know, hopefully for us that people will say, well, uh, you know, let's download this, let's give this a shot and see if it can solve people's problems. Um, so that's, that's how we, we feel about it. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so on top of that, I guess let's let's build a little further. So what would you say are the key benefits that Web3 can bring to emerging markets? I mean, I think I think fundamentally it can just make everybody part of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. As in, you know, even NFTs, you know, again, going back to what I said, you know, all of this is quite elitist. Um, uh, you know stuff and you know unless you have this unless you have that unless you have the other thing you can't do any of this so you know on one hand you're saying our oh, web 3 is inclusive it's decentralized um you know it's easy blah 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 but you know you need this you need that you need gas you need an account you need a laptop you need this you need to know you need to have the computer literacy to know how all of this fits together and you need to be sufficiently interested enough to actually do all of the steps so I think, um, uh, uh, you know, I think what it's adding to the conversation is, you know, making every, well, it's, it's making more people a part of the conversation rather than just some, uh, uh, you know, bubble at the center of us, which I think maybe we've a tendency to inflate ourselves sometimes. So, <laughs> you know, that's really important. You know, that's really important to us. Um, you know, the idea of getting, you know, thousands of people sending their first NFT, um, it, it, you know, some type of document storage with NFTs um, that people may not have, you know, had before, um, it, you know, building up, you know, a financial history with crypto that maybe people might not have had before, uh, you know, so a- allowing people to participate in the digital world without, um, well, as easily as possible. Um, and, you know, actually giving people a chance to be included in, uh, you know, the so-called digital economy that, you know, we're all supposed to be living in. And I guess that's what was really driving us from the start. Um, and, uh, you know, okay, it starts here, you know, but once, you know, people have the seed of something, then, uh, you know, we can start building, uh, uh, you know, and, and grow with the user while they're creating financial history. Uh, you know, more things can be offered when we, you know, start onboarding other partners in terms of NFTs and, and different documents and things like vaccine records, educational certificates, etc., that can be stored as NFTs. Then you start to have an interesting proposition where things that we take for granted in, um, you know, more developed markets, uh, you know, we wouldn't even think twice about, uh, you know, uh, 
it would actually form the building blocks of people's histories, employment histories, health histories, financial histories. When you start giving people those building blocks, then you know other types of change can start to happen. So there are things that uh, you know are certainly on our um, uh, you know vision for for where all of this goes. Um, and I suppose it's just just important to point out that you know this isn't in terms of how we're approaching it. This isn't a way to sell or to get uh, uh, you know people trading shit coins or or anything like that. Um, you know we're not interested in that. Um, so uh, uh, you know at the start, just in terms of what we're doing, um, you know the wallet is only going to. Um, you know, use USDC on on Polygon and, and Matic as the gas token. So, you know, this isn't um, this isn't about finding an untapped market to to start shilling coins to. That's not uh, that's not how we, we we see this playing out, and that's not the story that we want to be a part of. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, that does kind of lead me to another question, though, which is obviously there are going to be people that do kind of see that as an opportunity. Um, how would you, yeah, I mean, in which direction would you want to go? Would you um, prefer to try and make sure that those people can't take advantage of the situation? Or would you um, head more towards in the direction of educating the emerging markets to to be wary of that sort of issue yeah well i mean i think it's you know we haven't fully bottomed that out to be honest um mm -hmm. uh, you know we haven't bottomed that out and i think we'll just take feedback you know from the users we're going to launch with you know very you know very limited set of of uh of tokens available and then just get feedback um i think that's about excuse me i think that's about as all all we can do um, at this point, um, you know, obviously, you know, a wallet isn't even a wallet. It's just the wallet is on the blockchain. So, um, you know, by its very nature, it's it's on the blockchain. So it's just a tool to interact with the blockchain. So, um, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, you want you do want to give obviously people complete ownership over, um, you know, their address and what assets they choose to put into it. But as as a business and as a as a venture launching this to, um, uh, uh, you know, to emerging markets, we also don't want to, um, uh, you know, do something foolish or treat people um, in a foolish manner by, um, uh, you know, allowing them to. Uh, you know, add any types of tokens or or, or or be be susceptible to any type of scam or anything like that. So at the start, we're just going to take a very cautious approach and uh, just get feedback from our users um, as time progresses. Kind of on the a similar track, how do you feel about um, play-to-earn style gaming as it is something that's fairly popular in emerging markets? Um, do you think it's a, a good option for for these people to kind of start interacting in the space? I mean, personally, no. Um, okay. I kind of feel the play to earn thing is it's on 
you know, I, I'm not a fan of it. I think it's it creates a, it it creates a class of you know, call it worker bees, um, at the bottom, you know, creating um, you know, the different uh, collectibles or digital assets, and then uh, it, it, you know, it allows then people with you know a higher income or or, or or more assets to come in and take advantage of it. So. You can call it on one hand, you can call it free market economy and capitalism. On the other hand, I think it's creating something that's probably I just don't like the the smell of. To be honest, um, I think the games have to be fun. You know, if there is a, a you know, I think that what blockchain can bring to games in terms of you know keeping your assets and creating marketplaces for your assets, I think that's fine, but. The play to earn piece. I think. I think it's important that it happened as it's really progressed the conversation, but I don't think it's going to end up where it is now. I think it's, it's, it's you know, the, the final version or the version that sticks will be a lot more nuanced than, um, what we've seen before. So in terms of our target market, or, uh, uh, you know, we are discussing, um, releasing a game. Um, that does have those that does have some type of crypto mechanic in it but it won't be played it, it, it won't be played to earn um i just kind of feel it's a bit of a race to the bottom um is my personal feeling yeah no i mean that's what i'm asking for is is your expert yeah, yeah. slash your well, opinion <laughs> so yeah. well i well i think it's a bit uh yeah i think play to earn I think it's changed. I think Ami Mocha changed it recently. Like all of their, they've rebranded Play and Earn. Is the new, is the you know is the is the more sanitized you know next version of it, which <laughs> yeah. which, which I can kind of get behind a bit more um, uh, than Play to Earn. Um, but you know, but fundamentally, mm-hmm. the games have to be good. And if people are just playing crappy games, to you know, to get money to sell to other people, I think that probably has a limited shelf life. Um, it's important that it happens because it progresses the conversation, but it has a limited shelf life, in my opinion. Right. Okay, that's totally fair. Do you think then that not necessarily in play to earn? We'll move off of that then. Um, with token economies, can that be an effective route to? Um, kind of unlocking wealth for these emerging markets in the long run? I think it can play a part in the sense that, um, you know, a predominantly cash society, you know, it's difficult for people to build, you know, things like a credit history, um, you know, a, a financial history, etc. So if you are allowing people to transact in a, you know, a relatively casual manner, as in, you know, buying something in the store or, um, you know, paying for a cab or, or whatever, you know, you're creating a very basic financial history. And if you can create that, you know, that's the bones of, um, you know, allowing people then to, you know, start using some, you know, basic financial products in terms of, in terms of taking a loan out, et cetera you know, to start a new business or to start a new venture. And in those ways, um, it, or, you know, to take a loan out to pay for their, 
their, their kids to go to school or to get a school book or, 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 or take a class or whatever. So I think in those ways, um, it, 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 you know, allowing people who are pr primarily dealing with cash, um, some record of their uh, history, you know, should create uh, uh, wealth uh, as an ancillary effect in the long run. Um, on a country level, why, you know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, CBDCs do feed into this conversation also, you know, primarily, um, you know, Nigeria is actually a great example, the Naira, um, I think, you know, pilots have been done by the Central Bank of, of Nigeria. Um, there's other countries, uh, you know, in Southeast Asia, obviously, you know, China is looking at it very strongly. Um, you know, so how do CBDCs play into this also, that if, you're, if you suddenly, not suddenly, but, you know, over the course of, let's say, 10 years, replace cash with CBDCs, you know, there's negative things to CBDCs or potentially negative things, um, you know, things like privacy, etc. But you know, as a as a proposition, if you did replace cash um, with CBDCs, you would create a lot of financial records, and you probably would find a lot of people who are very fiscally responsible. Um, you know, who don't have a financial history that suddenly, by virtue of the blockchain, they would have a financial history. Um, Obviously, there's tons of negatives or potential negatives, but there's also tons of potential positives out of that. So I think um, how CBDCs play into this and, you know, also that comes back to the question of accessibility, uh, you know, especially in emerging markets, you, know, you can't suddenly turn around to, you know, a country of 100 million people um, and say, OK, well, everybody needs to have um you know an android phone that's you know less than five years old um it just won't happen so you, so i think uh, you create you know creating technology that can be used you know on all types of hardware i think is going to be very important and that's what we're seeking to do um with our small piece of the conversation with uh, with her wallet so i think it's a multifaceted thing um uh, and you know, there's a lot of assumptions in what I said, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But uh, I think the intersection of token economy, financial history, CBDCs, um, there's definitely something there that's that's brewing. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the kind of financial aspect is the the best or the only way to get these markets involved in Web three, or do you see other things? Um, kind of the decentralized, the the DAO portion, maybe being very helpful for these markets as well, or these regions. I think the NFT piece is going to be crucial. I think it'll take on a different form than what we've seen so far. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I think it'll go down more the route of um, you no know, national identity card. Um, uh, you know, vaccine certificates, health certificates, um, things of that, or birth certificates, things of that nature, which is probably a good thing, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I think, so the NFT piece will feature heavily, 
I think the DAO piece in terms of, uh, uh, you know, creating communities or, 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 or if there's informal communities, they're already creating some structure around us. Perhaps, um, I don't, I don't know is the short answer, but I think perhaps, um, I think ultimately if we're giving people tools to make decisions, um, you know, on a localized basis, you know, they're probably human nature would naturally be drawn to them, but it's hard to say. I, I, I don't really know. I think in terms of crypto and emerging markets, let's say, you know, gaming, NFTs, finance, CBDCs, um, travel also, I'd say is another, um, uh, another sector kind of caught up in this. So kind of all those, I think the intersection of all of those pieces is probably going to see a lot of people, um, you know, whether they know it or not being onboarded, uh, into, into some type of blockchain based system. Um, sooner rather than later sure sure sooner rather than later so i do want to talk about your timeline so you said before that you kind of pictured the timeline for your sister as like 10 years out would you put the timeline for um, emerging markets similarly or yeah i think it'll be quicker i mean i think um from my perception you know having lived in hong kong for a long time um and it's not it's not necessarily a positive thing if anybody knows about it but you know there's a large um uh, you know community of southeast asians who are in uh, hong kong working uh, various types of jobs and that's a whole other story that's uh, that's well commented on but um, uh, you know from my perception i haven't been here for a long time and seen company you know seeing different billboards and uh, you know talking to people different things popping up every couple of years um and that are remittance services essentially people are very quick to jump um between remittance services uh, and some blockchain based remittance services which i know um you know if they see even a small saving so i think um you know the ultimate question better faster and cheaper will we'll always win the day. So I think the timeline for emerging markets, uh, you know, when they see the benefits that it is better, faster and cheaper, um, I think will, uh, you know, increase the, uh, increase the rate of adoption. Um, so I think for the likes of my sister, <laughs> and, uh, maybe that's a bad, a bad yardstick to, to use, but uh, uh, you know, I, I still think on mass or, you know, or call it the moment, mom and pop types um, is still probably a longer way away from becoming, you know, really you know, so-called crypto native. But I think th there's mm. more of a chance of it happening quicker in emerging markets. And I think that's ultimately it's a good thing. Yeah. That greater opportunity for reward sort of pushed maybe. Yeah. Great. Super. Then, any last points that you'd like to touch on? Anything that you're really excited about with this topic? Um, I mean, I think what we're looking at is, you know, the cell phone, mobile phone, <laughs> whatever you call it, phone, it, is, it's the first thing that probably people pick up in the morning 
and the last thing that people um probably you know put down at night and um you know across the world it's whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is probably just a fact so you know we fully believe in mobile being not just an on-ramp but you know the usage gateway or primary usage gateway for people interacting with crypto blockchain web3 um so that's what we're focused on and i suppose part of that story is um you know hardware manufacturers um you know are also forming part of our story and then also telcos might seem like legacy systems you know to some people but you know telecommunications companies mobile phone providers etc um cell, cell service providers are not going anywhere um so kind of working with both of those constituents also is really important to us um you know where we want to get to is having our wallets you know pre-installed on phones you know when they ship we want to be working with um the telcos uh, and we are working with some of them at the moment uh, you know in terms of turning let's say things like phone credit um you know into usdc for example using phone credit as a means of onboarding people into crypto um and things of that nature so i think you know mobile is super important and you know mobile isn't just an app it's also the hardware manufacturers and the carriers um and uh, you know in our case obviously uh, uh Kai OS are you know our 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 fantastic OS uh, partner so it's a combination of all of these things working together which is going to make uh, you know the potent mix for um uh, you know for getting uh, you know bringing the story on to the next step and you know ultimately where all of this leads is um you know Apple announced last week for instance uh, uh, you know buy now pay later they announced that I think a couple of months ago they've announced a savings account last week um you know some people might say it's the hyper financialization of everything that's very valid criticism but you know having your phone apple is is probably taking a few strands of the of the finance rope and you know starting to make another rope um but you know having uh, using that as an example that it, it, you know once you provide people with one thing it's easier to provide them with another and tying everything together between software hardware and uh, uh, and some type of financial uh, uh, product or access i think is key and i suppose in our in our small way we're trying to be a part of that story also yeah great wonderful uh, very last question here for you. Who should we have on Ben the Expert Talks next? I think, you know, going back to one of your questions earlier, I think, you know, from local communities, um, not exactly like Bitcoin Beach, but, um, you know, what local communities are using crypto, let's say, in a, in a, in a really localized way, you know, finding those type of individuals, I think they would have an interesting story to tell about you know why they're using it and 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 where they see the benefit and i know i'm giving you more work there to try and find those people but uh... <laughs> no that's perfect that's great all right wonderful well then thank you so much Stephen. i really appreciate your time today and it was really great talking to you likewise thanks very much Alex.
If you liked today's episode, please rate, follow, or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you really like our content, join our Discord community, where there's always good conversation, exciting news, and live AMAs. Thanks for listening.